You're listening to The Rob and Caleb Show. Torah Resource presents The Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb show. My name is Caleb Haig. With me as always, Rob Vanhoff. What up, Hop? Hey, I like that intro song. Yeah, so the intro song, for those who might not know, that was Carlos Santana playing his hit song, A Metatron. Yes. Um, if you have not been on Facebook at all, this last week, then uh, you probably don't know what we're talking about, but there's been quite the controversy over the Robin Caleb show. How you been, Rob? How you doing? I'm having fun. Yeah, I, I'm doing well. It's been there's been like all sorts of spiritual like warfare stuff going on. I know it's been intense. Like, wow! Like I can't even believe it. And and because in celebration, can I just start? Can I just do something? This is show one hundred. It is show one hundred. Happy one hundred episode. One hundred episode to you, Rob. I wanted to share some Hebrew words that have a, a gematria. Oh no! <laughs> uh, go for it. The first one is Mayim. Does any of our listeners know the word Mayim? I know water. what that is. Yeah, water. Water. Another one is Lech Lecha. That's the Torah portion, Lech Lecha, where at Genesis 12, get yep. up and go. Lech Lecha. Go to yourself. Go yourself. That adds up to 100. Here's another one. Yad Elohim. You know, the people the who are... The hand of God. The people... Is, oh wait. The, the people who are t- tuning into the, the Christian person who just tuned in to to, uh, to, I, uh, to tune in and happened upon the Rob and Caleb show are going to think that we actually believe in gematria. Hey, Caleb, I'm going to let you make your own conclusion. I'm just giving okay. you the facts. Man. Okay, just give me the facts. Here's another one. Lev Chacham, a wise heart. I don't know. The omens are good for our show today, man. That's okay. all I'm saying. The I omens. Mean, if we, if we well, consult, get... consulting the... The Gematria calculator? Done. I, I'm just saying, here's another one. Modim, which oh, yeah. is Modim and thank, thankful. Modim, like, yeah. Yeah, like so, we are thankful, yeah. And we're, and we're, hey, in two weeks is Thanksgiving. Oh, so, Modim and Nachnu, yeah. Okay. And Here we go. So I'm telling you, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I'll let you interpret it, but I think the omens are good. The omens are good. Interesting. Um, so I have to say, praise the Lord. I have been really, really sick. <laughs> you might be able to hear it in my voice a little bit. I have that like that movie voice now. Like, one man, one desire, right? Um, so I got the movie voice and everything. But this is actually really, really good. And the reason why is because we're going to the ETS and SBL meeting on Monday. And uh, the last thing that I'd want is to be deathly ill in Atlanta for the ETS and SBL meetings. So I actually see this as a huge blessing that I have been really sick now because I think right about Monday is about the time that this is going to be completely gone. Your immune system will rebound. That's right, and I'll I'll be ready to go. I am pumped. 
Okay, so let's talk for a few seconds. I, we got a ton of stuff to get to. I have, I think I have 11 or 12 audio clips that I want to play. First of all, if you don't know what the controversy is, it's been going on for the past week on social media. Now, there's a couple of different things that's been going on. Number one, uh, I, Rob and I have challenged, uh, loudly challenged, uh, Itzhak Shapira's book, uh, Return of the Kosher Pig, because in it he equates Metatron, that is the mystical angelic figure that once was Enoch, he equates that figure with none other than our Lord and Savior Yeshua. Now, um, we had tons of people speak to this. Only a couple of them were actual people. Uh, there is... A, uh, what's interesting... What's interesting is that on my Facebook page, uh, I no, have... It's a, like you get, it's, you've got, you get like three Messianic rabbis in a room and you actually have five Facebook personalities. Well, yeah, especially the, with this one person. So, what's interesting is that I had a bunch of people. It used that, to be opinions. Yeah. Now it's uh, Facebook profiles. So I had uh, I have had a couple of people email me and say, "Wow, you know, I I've never listened to you. I've never listened to you know. I've I've read some of Shapiro's stuff, but uh, you know, we really appreciate what you're doing." And then after the discussion kept going and going and going. I had these people email me and say, you know, this profile that's commenting is a fake profile. This profile is a fake profile. It all leads back to one person. We know who it is. It's not Itzhak Shapiro, by the way. Uh, just, no, I'm not accusing him in any way, shape, or form. Um, but the the discussion has been good uh, between me and some of these new people that I've been talking to. And actually, I have to say, one of the things that I've noticed about Yitzhak Shapira and the way that he has uh, addressed these issues is that he hasn't addressed these issues. He has not once spoken to anything relating to our argument against Metatron as Yeshua, and all he's done is sling personal attacks, which in my mind... Caleb, he said he didn't have time to get involved. Yeah, well, he had... Because he's traveling, he he doesn't have internet. Yeah, he had time, he had plenty of time to uh, post time and time and time and time and time again personal attacks on uh, various different people, which in my mind shows the strength of his argument, which is that he, you know, uh, listen, one time, this is a true story, at the beginning, um, this is probably about four or five years ago, I wrote a paper on, actually it was in response to this person, but I got in a, a disagreement on a forum about Aramaic primacy versus Greek primacy. And I said something to the effect of the main guy who was debating with me. I said something to the effect of, well, you're, you know, obviously you haven't been educated or something like that. My father saw this and said to me, Caleb, you can't do this. You can't attack the person. When you attack the person, then it shows that your argument is extremely weak. You attack the theology, attack the, the, uh, you know, the teaching. Attack the work that the person's done. Don't attack the person. It's very good advice, and it's true. And what uh, I've realized is that Itzhak Shapiro's father has not told him that because all he has done is sling personal attacks, which is fine. That's totally fine. But we did get some uh, some write-ins on this. So on the YouTube uh, channel, somebody said, uh, somebody named Trevor, I think it's Trevor, said, I believe the real issue is what Metatron are we talking about? I don't think that's the real issue. <laughs> if we're talking about the third Enoch Metatron, then you have some grounds to call blasphemy. 
only the Shaddai connection actually would still maintain the deity of Yeshua. I totally disagree. By the time you get to the Zohar, okay, he goes on. If instead we're talking about this rabbinical notion of Metatron found in the Zohar and other sources outside of Three Enoch, we're dealing with a different concept entirely. I totally disagree with that. The reason that you have Metatron in the Zohar is because he has already been established as a figure within Judaism. He has been created by the, the rabbis up to this point. Do you agree with me, Rob? Yeah, yeah. There is, if we had the, what's the show with the traveling, well, Back to the Future or the TARDIS or whatever. If we went back to the first century and you went and asked every Jew in the world who Metatron was, they would look like you. Like, yeah, who, who are you talking about? What are you talking what about? Are you, what are you even talking about? They would not have no clue. But my point and is... If, and then if you went around to, to Yeshua's disciples and started saying that Yeshua was Enoch after he ascended, they would be like, <laughs> what well, are you talking okay, about? Okay, but at the same time, Rob, what, we have to, what I'm actually looking at is, okay, come now to the 3rd century, and you start to have this formation of Metatron. By the time you get to the 13th I, I, century... You know, what? you know what? I wouldn't even... I'm not even going to budge that far. Okay. This oh. is where Shapira misleads his audience, and it's it's just it's it means he hasn't been trained as a scholar. He on page two forty three. Oh wait, wait wait now let's not get into personal attacks. No, it's just no, yeah, well, it, this is what he says. It is recorded in Sefer HaYovalim, which is Hebrew for Book of Jubilees, and then he puts a footnote that Enoch, who is also called Metatron, served as a witness for humanity after the generation of the flood and when he went up to heaven. And then in this footnote, he says, it's the author is unknown. Sefer HaYovalim is a mystical Jewish book, sometimes called Little Bereshit, or Little Genesis, dating back to 153 BCE. Here's a few just errors that if he had, had done his homework, he probably would have recognized that, first of all, the Book of Jubilees is, was never called Sefer HaYovalim. He's... In, he's it was never called that in Hebrew. It had a completely different name in Hebrew for the ancient world. But also, the word, the name Metatron, he, he leads his readers to think that the word Metatron, the name Metatron appears in the Book of Jubilees in a, in a text that's 153 B.C. That's just totally misleading. Okay, well, absolutely hey, misleading his audience. This person, and, go, but but I want to go. I want to go on because listen to this. Okay, and you touched on this a little bit with what you just said. Okay, is that Shapira says that this book of Jubilees goes back, you know, way beyond, way prior to the Messiah. Okay, uh, he says uh, he said this person Trevor says all that Rabbi Shapira is doing is pointing out that Jewish rabbis have discovered a divine figure in the Old Testament who Hashem, who is Hashem in the flesh and serves to reveal Hashem to mortals. That's not all he's done. They happen to name, they, who they happen to name Metatron. He's not talking about these rabbinical writings as inspired scripture. This also is not true. I hate to tell you this. We might be able to say he's not talking about them in terms of inspired scripture. But Shapira does not believe in Sola Scriptura. He believes that the, the rabbinical writings have divine authority. They've been given authority by the Almighty. And that this tradition is passed down. And that's why he's big on, A, Jewish blood. Yes. And, B, uh, honoring the person, honoring the title rabbi. Yeah, that's right. You must honor the title rabbi. How dare you speak to a Jewish rabbi this way? Um, that whole uh, attitude and that heart, that's uh, that's going to be pruned. <laughs> that's the Yeshua, there, that is, Yeshua came to say, eh, because that same culture was prevalent 
in the first century. But the, the earliest probably reference to Metatron is probably not even until the 500s. Okay, or well, there even you go. 600s. There you go. Common era. But my, but my point, my original point there, Rob, was that you have that, that before the Zohar, the, the uh, creation of the compilated works that makes up the quote unquote Zohar, okay, before that, that time period, and I'm going to say that's 1300s, right? 12, 1300s yeah, is when yeah. it starts to begin. You have this concept within Jewish mysticism. Starting from, let's say it's right. late. Let's say it's the 600s, okay? It came from Babylon. Yeah, and, it's not exactly. in the Mishnah. Metatron's not in the Mishnah. He's not in the Tosefta. He's not in the Jerusalem Talmud. He's not in the Talmud Yushalmi. Only in the Babylonian Talmud and in the very late post-Babylonian Targumim and or Aramaic uh, and uh, Midrashim. And you're right. And that's through that pathway that it makes it into the medieval Jewish mysticism text. I don't want now, uh, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, uh, but I do want to say this. I noticed that uh, Dr. Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, had done a favorable review on the book, uh, Return of the Kosher Pig. So I actually emailed Dr. Brown. He, he and I talk every once in a while. He wrote back and actually had uh, some, some interesting and, and I thought good things to say. Uh, he said that he, he was more uh, giving a review to the book that... Uh, that uh, the idea that the de- deity, the Messiah, is the Achilles' heel of the Messianic movement is simply not true, and he was not see the Messianic movement having an Achilles' heel. I didn't. I don't. I mean, what? we'll talk. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But yeah, okay. I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Uh, well, he he's saying in the eyes of Ju- of well, Judaism. That's like a tr- he's uh, Dr. Oh. Brown saying in the eyes of Judaism, and 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 he's saying, and Dr. Brown said, you know, he was more giving the. Uh, uh, the review that we need to uh, weigh these these different uh, texts and, and show that no Judaism does believe in some kind of a divine figure. Uh, so I respect him for that. Uh, I also have put in an email to uh, someone on the steering committee of the IAMCS as well as the office of the IAMCS, asking them if since uh, Shapira is ordained through the IAMCS and since he has written this in uh, Return of the Kosher Pig. If this is the official position, yeah, that's fair. I mean, are I, they going to are they going to reply to his claims as an institution? Yeah, and so I mean, well, and 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 is this the official uh, the official stance of the IAMCS that in fact Yeshua and Metatron are one and the same? I have not received a, an answer back yet, but can we, I await. I know you want to put this aside. How much more can we beat this Metatron horse? Well, before, we have well, be, before I do want to just address one thing, one specific thing that uh, Shapiro did say before we move on, and I, I'll let you say, say uh, something as well, okay. of course. Uh, but uh, but Shapiro said uh, he wanted to come on our show and speak before our fifty listeners to to set things straight. Now, first of all. Uh, we are not the only people who produce this show, okay? This show, show by the way, is produced by Torah Resource. Uh, we have people that we answer to. We can't just bring people on the show. All of that kind of thing is uh, is approved. We have been told categorically Itzhak Shapira is not allowed on this show because this show will not be used as a platform to spout lies about our Messiah. Uh, I respect that. I told Mr. Shapira that he could write a, uh, a response to us if he would like, and we could uh, we could dialogue that way through different papers. However, uh, I I know that he was meaning it as an attack to say that we only have 50 listeners. But since we only have 36 listeners, I actually see it as a, uh, you know, 
as him. He's uh, actually thinking he, higher of us. Yeah, though. he's thinking higher of us than we than than we actually are. You know, we only got thirty six listeners. That that was very generous of him. Yeah. I know, very generous. He 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 tacked on listeners. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for the extra fourteen listener bump, Mister Shapiro. We appreciate it. Okay, go ahead, Rob. Well, I just had a, two other things. If we could talk about Metatron, you know, because before we move on, is uh, one is the the etymology, but if uh, of Metatron, because there I got some flack online. People saying that oh, it's not a Greek word. It's not Latin. It's Hebrew. You know. Uh, so I want to talk about this. But also, if we were to push the reasoning behind this, if we if we took uh, Shapira's method and we applied it and we just continued using it, this is where we would end up with rewriting the the New Testament, re- rewriting the, the Gospels. And there's some interesting verses that we could find. Um, <laughs> the one I posted this morning is Acts 18.5. When Silas and Timothy arrived at Macedonia... Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was Metatron. I thought that was a good one. Here's another one. 1 Timothy 4, starting with verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Metatron Jesus. (laughs) Being trained, listen, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Or how about... If we if we don't want to lean on Paul, because First Timothy's Paul, let's look at Peter, Second Peter one sixteen. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of Metatron, but we were oh, eyewitnesses wow. of his majesty. Oh wow! And finally, we we've had Paul, we've had Peter. How about John? First John five five. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is Metatron? Okay, uh, Lois uh, says, hang on just a sec while I cough. Pardon me. Okay, uh, Lois says, do we listeners have any say so who comes on the show? Tell me. Uh, tell him there's at least one no vote, uh, or do I count as for 23 votes? Because she's number 23. Because she's number 23, she's the only listener who's been given a number. Uh, yes, uh, Lois, you count as 23 votes, so... We have 23 so, votes uh, no for It's Arch Shapiro. Well, and uh, honestly, uh, the uh, president of the company has the most say over this show, and he has already put the axe on that. So uh, we are more than willing to dialogue uh, through articles and uh, and papers that we can uh, release and that Shapiro can release. However, he has not, as of yet, uh, decided to do so, and we hope that he will change his mind. Okay, should we move on? Let's move on. Uh, 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 this one thing needs to be said, by the way. Last week, uh, we played a clip uh, from a gentleman named Marty Hertz. Marty Hertz has been discussed on this show before. Actually, I have to say, I have to give it to Marty. Okay, I don't know the man, the gentleman uh, personally, uh, and uh, it's it is for sure that we disagree on certain issues. Uh, he believes the temple was put in a different place uh, than on the traditional temple mount. He has some interesting theories about that, uh, and he also is uh, he he also the the clip that we played last week. Uh, he says, you know, I don't believe, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. Please, uh, I didn't grab the clip. I should have. I apologize. He basically says, I don't believe that the Talmud and the Zohar were written by demons, as some have asserted. Uh, and so uh, we we started to talk about this. Rob brought up, well, I don't think anybody says that. So this is a straw man argument. 
Okay, and then I went on to say, well, I believe that the Zohar, not the Talmud, but the Zohar was certainly influenced by Jewish mysticism. And uh, Jewish mysticism certainly had elements of the occult in it. Uh, the, the Baal Shems were witch, uh, essentially witch doctors at the time. They used amulets. They, uh, they spoke uh, spells over people. And they were uh, involved in necromancy. And so I think that that is wrapped up in demonic issues. I've written about this in my paper on Kabbalism and Hasidic theology. Marty got a hold of me and said, and once again, I have to hand it to Marty. You know, he really, uh, he knows how to dialogue well. And, and it seems like he uh, is somewhat of a gentle soul. I really appreciate that. Uh, Marty said, you know, uh, this was obviously hyperbole. I was not saying that demons literally wrote these books. Okay, and and I agree, and I wasn't trying to play the clip. In all honesty, I wasn't trying to play the clip to uh, down Marty. When I when I heard the clip, I wanted to use that clip specifically because I wanted to show how many people within the Messianic movement approach the uh, the the rabbinic writings. And and I'm using a blanket statement there. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe what I should say is specifically the Zohar, which is that the Zohar is just another rabbinic writing. And that it, you know, and that it's been demonized, if you will. I'm using quote marks, demonized uh, by some of the Christian uh, right and the, uh, you know, other rel- some of the messianics, saying that, you know, it was it has demonic influence. Okay, uh, so I understand Marty's point. He doesn't he doesn't think that that is the case. I wasn't trying to down Marty specifically. I was trying to show somewhat of a view. I feel like Marty's view there actually represents a larger representation than just Marty himself. That's the point, is that I think that that view is actually somewhat widely held within the Messianic Hebrew Roots movement. Okay, and so that's where I was trying to go with that. So my apologies to Marty uh, if if that was a misrepresentation in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and uh, I, once again, uh, appreciate Marty's willingness to dialogue with us uh, on, on that. And actually, he, he uh, responded by, by making a video of uh, Rob and me. It was, he took the Rob and Caleb show, that part, and then he put Wayne and Garth's heads over our and heads. That really made me, I, I, I was upset about that. Because, because you wanted to be I'm Wayne. I'm the guitar player. Yeah, you wanted to be Wayne. And I, I wanted I to be Wayne. And oh. Well, I, I'm, I just, a, I'm okay being Garth. That's fine. You know, I, and I, I emailed him, asked him to change it. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Let's get to the hey, issue. You want to get to the issue at hand or you want well, you, you got more? Thing. Go for it. Not med- This is our little transition moment. Um, I have a few of these these book markers. Yeah, That accordance. I got from the Accordance booth. Yeah. And what's really cool about them at SBL, and I think I hope they have more of them, I want to get more of them this year, is that it's really handy for doing Hebrew word pictures because, and I'll hold it up. Oh, yeah. If you can see, but I'll, I'll hold it up. And Hebrew, oh, yeah, too close, too close. Okay, yeah, there you go. Good, good. So if you, let's say you don't remember, let's say, the letter Tet, you, you just look at this. And now you know. This handy laminated accordance bookmark and you go to the letter tet and then you look over oh it's a circle with an x in front of it yes across it let's say you can't remember the hebrew letter tab you look it up and then you go right there it looks like a sword or a, or a cross or an x with a 
or a, a Shin is a W. So, so what's the point here, Rob? Are you suggesting that, that just, uh, Paleo script people, is not a thing? Well, if you want to properly interpret scripture, <laughs> you need to know the original. Wow. Uh, I think that view you know, is headed for a deep mischief. Rob is just being very extremely sarcastic, and I hope any new listeners realize the sarcasm that is coming through. By the way, last week I asked... Our, did I tell you Mayim is, the, is today's <laughs> Yes, word. the word of the day. Oh, that's what we should have. We should have a word of the day. Uh, and the gematria always has to, it has to add up to that show number. <laughs> so, uh, last week I asked for our for people in the chat room to come up with some elevator music. The funny thing is, is that I was thinking of a specific elevator scene in a movie. Okay, and uh, this is for any time that Rob and I are not sure about something, we need to go look it up on the internet or you know find a book or whatever behind us. Uh, to to try to reference something, and there's just dead air. And uh, our our programmer Gary Springer, thank you, Gary, and Happy Veterans Yay. Day to Gary. He, uh, he is Yay. a veteran, uh, so uh, he he promptly went and found the exact song that was in my head. Uh, so the next time that we need to find something, you got you guys will all be blessed with. Good, good elevator music. Okay, enough playing around. Let's get to it. Uh, here we go. Rob, let me ask you a question. Okay, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Are you part of the Hebrew Roots movement? I, I'll have to check my wallet to see if I have <laughs> if you're If you're a card carrier... So, uh, one of the fake profiles on my Facebook page uh, that was commenting... Is that something that I... Is that is that something I have to affirm and sign to, or is that something that other people recognize me to be? That is a great question. Um, Things that make you go, hmm. Hmm, yes. Uh, so I asked several people this recently, and actually one of the fake profiles, I know who it was, was, uh, was trying to assert that I was part of the Hebrew Roots movement. I didn't know if that was actually a bad thing or a good thing. So I started asking some people what the Hebrew Roots movement actually is. Now, I've always... For, for a long time, I've said that I'm part of the Messianic movement. However, I'm starting to realize that this, too, has bad connotations to it. We'll talk about that in a few seconds. So I start, uh, somebody then with a real profile emailed me. Actually, a good friend of yours, Rob. A good friend of your, uh, John, John B., uh, wrote me and said, I've been seeing people mention Hebrew roots around you. You're not in the Hebrew Roots Movement, are you? Hmm, good question, John. That is a good question. I'm not sure if I'm in the Hebrew Roots or not. He says, I know oh, you hold... How does one know? Okay, exactly. And so what we're going to do today is we're going we're gonna to define... We're going to try to We need define a test. Yeah. We need an online test. Oh, that's it. Oh, you go no. in and it, it takes you a half hour. There's all these questions like answer one through five, like gives you all these scenarios. And then at the very end, it tells you whether or not you're it Hebrew roots or gives not. You, and it prints out a sticker to put on your forehead. <laughs> no, no, it's got to be a card. We should send people laminated cards. I'm not part of the Hebrew roots movement. Okay, um, here you go. So this is what this is. What, I want to keep going with John's statement. He says, "I know you hold the Torah, and from what I read, you're not much into sacred name usage or claiming Jews corrupted the scriptures, like a lot of them do. They like quoting Jeremiah eight eight. Okay, so what John is saying here is that uh, in his view, 
this is what I'm gaining from John's email. Okay, in his view, those who hold to uh, the Hebrew roots movement tend to either be sacred namers or tend to uh, suggest that the Jews corrupted the scriptures that we now have. Okay, so this is how, in my mind, this is what John has now put onto the definition Hebrew roots. Okay, so then I remembered that my uh, my friends Ted Pierce, who's not one Torah, you might know Ted Pierce from his uh, his albums and his wonderful messianic m- music. Ted Pierce wrote this on a uh, as a comment on a Facebook thread. I I had to dig back over a year to find it. Uh, he says it is lumped together because of the overlap of people in those various non-orthodox approaches. The way I differentiate between Hebrew roots and Messianic Jew is wide and maybe too generalized. But I see Messianic Jews as being primarily about delivering the gospel to Jewish people in a way that is culturally relevant. Whereas Hebrew roots is about filling one's head with Semitic knowledge, which results in Gentiles attempting to be something they are not that is Jewish. Interesting. So from what I'm understanding uh, uh, Ted Pierce to say here, okay. now what, what I'm doing is I'm going to show different views here and then we're going to try to define it ourselves. okay? And then we're going to listen to uh, an interview. This is going to be fun. okay? Uh, so <laughs> Dennis Fabe says uh, two house. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Okay, so what I hear uh, Ted Pierce saying here is that the uh, Hebrew, that the Messianic Judaism is really about trying to evangelize. It's an evangelistic tool. Now, interestingly, someone like Michael Brown, and this is where Messianic Judaism is starting to carry a connotation that I don't like. Someone like Dr. Brown, who is a friend of mine, I consider him a friend of mine, even though I've never met him face to face. We we talk on a somewhat regular basis, uh, and uh, and we discuss with each other every once in a while. Uh, Dr. Brown considers himself a Messianic Jew. Why does he consider himself a Messianic Jew? He doesn't believe that the Torah is an act today. In fact, he would consider himself a Pentecostal, right? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. This is a good point, Caleb. Is that what, what good is a label if, if it doesn't stick to the same thing over and over again? Exactly. And what I'm trying to say about Dr. Brown is not to down him in any way, shape, or form. Actually, what I'm saying about Dr. Brown is, is that the reason he sees himself as a Messianic Jew... Okay, we take the word messianic, a you know, which is attached to Messiah, right? Messiah, anic, <laughs> right? Messianic, uh, and we attach it to what? We attach it. We attach it to Judaism. Okay, so what Dr. Brown is saying that ethnically he is Jewish by right. blood. Okay, and that he has accepted the Messiah Yeshua as his Lord and Savior. So therefore, he is a messianic Jew. I understand exactly what he means. And, and honestly, when we just take the words themselves, I would have to say, yeah, he's right. Okay, but, but could a could a super, super over-the-edge Lubavitcher be called a Messianic Jew? Well, yes, I think that they could. Uh, if, they're, if they're pro Schneerson yes, as Messiah? I think that they could. Um, however, I think they probably. I, I think uh, I, I think that they certainly wouldn't, and the reason why is because Messianic Jew has certainly changed in our culture to mean something else. What it has been changed to, that's debatable, and that's what I'm saying is that is that uh, I would say that Ted. I'll Pier- tell you what I think of 
when I think of Messianic Jew, I think of Boaz Michael's definition in, in his book on, uh, oh, what's the book? Tent of David. Tent of David. And what I see the, that they have done at their organization, as well as Shapira, is indiscriminate use of Jewish mystical and Hasidic teachings as a lens for understanding the Gospels. And a claim that this is our uh, our divine heritage. You're talking as, about Messianic as Judaism. ethnic Jews. That's what I think when I th- think of Messianic uh, Judaism today. I think of those that are taking, they are asserting the uh, oral Torah as a as a legitimate and even divinely originated uh, body of cultural and halakhic and midrashic knowledge that extends all into hoary antiquity all the way back before the the gospels influenced the gospels and subsequently grew to produce works like the talmud and the zohar and the midrashim and and then in the as you mentioned with the uh, Baal shem tov in the 1700s and on with the chabad movement and all the jewish mysticism Subsequent. I'm sorry. Did you just say the Baal Shem Tov was in the 1700s? Yeah. No, Baal Shem Tov was before that. Baal Shem Tov was back in the 1300s. No. Yeah. No, Baal Shem Tov lived in Eastern Europe in yeah, the 1700s. Caleb, you wrote a paper on this. I know. Yeah, Baal Shem Tov were in Eastern Europe in the 1700s. Let's go to the Google. You can Google it. Okay, let's put on our elevator music while we look for this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, what does... You want to look up Israel Baal Shem Tov. Baal. He's the Baal. Shem Tov. Ah, oh, you're right, man. What am I thinking of? Okay, August twenty. You're 20- just thinking that, that there was earlier in the Zohar and stuff. There is amulets and okay, and yeah, things uh, like so, that. So there, there probably were these kind of exorcist kind of guys. But born in Shem- born in uh, August twenty fifth, sixteen ninety eight. Died May twenty second. Okay, so seventeen late, se- late, te- late seventh, right. early eighteenth century. I stand anyway, corrected. Keep going. Here's a point. Here's a point. Is that what I see Messianic Judaism today is is what those publishers are pushing. I see it as um, kind of UMJC, affirmation of this cultural oral knowledge of text and tradition and Jewish ethnicity, no matter if it's Sephardic or Ashkenazic or Yemen, it doesn't matter. It's all conflated as, quote, the Jewish people, and the gospel is seen as a flower that has bloomed out of that vine. And therefore, to understand the gospel, you have to understand all of this. And there, uh, that's the true orientation for understanding the gospels and who Yeshua is. That's what I see Messianic Judaism in. And that's not what I am. Well, first, I'm not ethnically Jewish. So I, but, and plus, I see uh, another aspect of that is with that, with that assumption, with that imagined world that they want to inhabit, they are modifying the gospel in order to try to make connect it. They're, they want to connect the gospel to that world that they're imagining because they want to be accepted by it. And also, they are adopting this 
at least in some circles, like we've seen with Shapira, at least the rabbinic uh, <laughs> cultural model where we have honor. You honor the rabbi uh, at all costs. You submit to the authority of the rabbi. And I think that's right, a direct uh, uh, slap in the face to Yeshua. That, that's my view. Okay, so I have to, uh, Adam says, I can Google like a Shem Tov magically I, because he beat me to uh, the date of the Baal Shem Tov. Okay. Um, yeah, so actually, speaking to what you just said, Rob, the thing that I would say is that, interestingly, you have groups like the UMJC, the IAMCS, okay? They're going to call themselves Messianic Jews, Messianic Judaism. Even the MJAA will assert that they hold to Messianic Judaism, Okay. They don't hold the Hebrew roots. They hold to Messianic Judaism. However, all of these groups, all three of these main hardline Messianic Jewish groups say that the Torah is not for the Gentiles. Right. That's the, that's the, because Jewish ethnicity and oral Torah beyond, ideology is, is helping them make that decision. That makes the decision for them. But beyond that, the MJAA, and I, the, well, the MJAA says that it's not binding on, that the Torah is not for the Jews now either the crisis right, fulfilled that right, right, right. okay so so the idea of so what I'm trying to say here we're nailing down the messianic Jewish title here before we're mess, uh, nailing down the Hebrew roots title which is totally fine what I'm saying is is that the messianic Jewish title has nothing to do with Torah at all what it has to do with is ethnicity and trying to reconnect with heritage and rabbis and rabbis ethnicity yeah. and rabbis that's that's what it is okay ethnicity and rabbis that that's what i see that being okay and here's the thing whenever we talk about concepts that are not defined in scripture well it's just well our our group is going to define it this way your group's going to define it define it that way and there's nothing to build on we so, can't if we so then the question i would have rob is should we say that we're part of the messianic jewish Movement. Okay, I know you won't, Caleb, because you already wrote an article and said that why you're leaving. That's it. right. So, I, I, have you have you kissed the mezuzah yet on your way out the door? I, I I actually have a solution to this, but we'll talk about that later. So, I asked my dad. I asked my dad, "Can you please tell me, are you part of the Hebrew Roots movement?" He said instantly, "No, I am not part of the Hebrew Roots movement." I said, "Really? Can you tell me what the Hebrew Roots movement is?" He said, "The Hebrew Roots." Uh, much of the time, now we're using, the first thing he said is you can't use blank, you know, it's a blanket statement. It's like asking me, am I part of Christianity? If I'm, if someone asks me on the street, am I part of, you know, am I a Christian? I might say yes, because I am part of, you know, it depends, but I really want to clarify. No, I'm not part of Mormonism. No, I'm not part of Catholicism. No, I'm not, you know, uh, you have to clarify what you mean by Christianity. Hebrew roots might be somewhat like that too. It's this blanket statement uh, are you part of this? Well, no, I'm not. But, you know, as a blanket statement, perhaps maybe it might fall into that. He says the Hebrew roots, uh, much of the time, believes that the Torah is wonderful and sheds light on their faith, but do not find it binding. So he then he, br- he brought up the idea of uh, Civil War reenactment. A person might think to themselves, I'm a history buff. I really enjoy the, the Civil War the Civil War era. And every once in a while, I might go to a field with a couple of buddies, dress up, you know, shoot a couple of guns and and pretend like we're part of the Civil War. But when I go home, I take all that stuff off. I live a normal, modern day life. I go to Starbucks. I get my red cup without any Christmas stuff on it. All this kind of stuff. 
right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, I had to bring it up. Sorry. Uh, and uh, and he said, so that's not what you know. That's what he sees the Hebrew Roots movement as is not necessarily binding. Okay. Um. So then, I see, I see Hebrew Roots as being like people sitting with, like I was doing with the accordance. Should I show that again? With this kind of table. That tells you what an olive is an ox head. You can kind of see the ox head right there. Yeah, we get it. You got a cool uh, the point bookmark. Is Come on, that man. You're, I'm just being silly. I think people who are sitting and trying to read scripture, like the first letter is a bet, a house, and then, and who really, that that's the extent of how they think that they're going to get god's torah in their heart that's how they understand torah i see that as hebrew roots see okay now this is how i'm kind of defining hebrew roots right now hebrew roots are people sacred name yeah so sacred name two housers all this kind of stuff would be lumped into uh to hebrew roots but the way that i see hebrew roots is this is that it's the idea of we can connect better with the messiah yeshua through trying to understand more his culture the culture he lived in, and then trying to do some of the culture, like a Passover Seder here, celebrating some of the festivals there, all these kind of things, eating a kosher diet every once in a while. And we do these things to try to connect with our Messiah, but they're not binding. That's how I see it. Okay. Oh, okay. Let's go to w- the Wikipedia. Shall we go to Wikipedia? Oh, Let, please, let's do. Okay, so I looked up just you know, now. Obviously, we don't think that Wikipedia is a uh, you know a firsthand source. Uh, well, we're not Wiccans. Yeah, well, there you go. What we're trying to do is we're just trying to see. Now, keep in mind these can be this can be written by just about anybody out there. So this is just more of an idea of what the culture today and perhaps even the Christian culture might see as the Hebrew words roots versus the Messianic Jewish titles. Wikipedia tells us this, for the Hebrew roots, both the Old and New Testament are held as holy books. The Torah serves as the foundation to all subsequent understanding and interpretation of Scripture. A foundational distinction of the Hebrew roots movement is the manner in which Scripture is translated and interpreted so that later testimony, particularly the New Testament and Brit Hadashah, does not conflict with the with Torah commandments. It is believed by those in the Hebrew Roots movement that Yeshua the Messiah did not come to establish a new religion or to do away with the law. I agree with almost everything in that, okay? But listen to the next listen to the next paragraph. Quote, this is on Hebrew Roots in Wikipedia. Salvation derives from the belief in Yeshua the Messiah as personal savior, not from commandments Torah keep or Torah keeping. However, believers are rewarded according to their fruits, works and obedience. Hebrew Roots followers believe that sin is breaking the Torah. All of the purity laws, such as dietary restrictions and Sabbath keeping, are in the Torah. Thus, it is sinful to not keep the Sabbath and to eat forbidden animals, among other social and religious observance laws. It is also true, according to some Hebrew Roots followers, citation needed, that those who are truly born of God will not continue in sin. Therefore, if you were not moved to be to keep the Sabbath, or to keep dietary restrictions, you must not truly be born of God. Citation needed. Okay, obviously we completely disagree with that. Uh, yeah, these blanket statements, uh, and I, that's one of the things I like about the Wikipedia algorithm. They find statements where it says, some say, 
and it goes in there and says citation needed. You can't just make these blanket uh, statements without it, it's steering scholarship and a style of Wikipedia, you know, text format that will not let those kind of blanket statements get by without saying you need to cite your sources. Okay, so when uh, we look, but when we look at Hebrew roots, what do we see? We see a lot of two house, right? I don't know. I, I guess when I think Hebrew roots, I'm lo- I'm kind of looking at this last fifteen years of my life, kind of as this giant hazy memory with all the different shenanigans along the way, and I and I can see, yeah, I guess those things I kind of might put in the Hebrew roots side and those things in the Messianic Jewish side. You know what I mean? Um, but still, it's it's in some respect, it's like Metatron. It's not in the scripture. So we're going we're gonna to try to define it, and ultimately, who's to say? See, for me, you know, I've I, decided this. I've decided this, Rob. I like the idea of one Torah. Are you, yeah. he, are you Hebrew roots? No, I'm not. I'm one Torah. What is this going to do? It's going to do several things. A, it's going gonna, it's gonna to define us separately from Hebrew roots and from Messianic Judaism. Two, it's going to have people ask questions because nobody knows what that is. They're going to say, what's one Torah? Right, and that's actually in the scripture. That's something you can yeah. go, you can point to. You can exactly. Point to so, uh, in my in my opinion, I think that uh, we have been able to somewhat shape a different theology than Two House, Sacred Name, Michael Rood, Monty Judah, Hebrew Roots, and we've also been able to shape a different movement than the UMJC, the uh, uh, MJAA Messianic Jewish movement. What that movement is is called One Torah. Now, what we're going to start listening to here is going to be somewhat vexing, I think, but it's going to be a lot of fun. What this is is Chris Roseborough. You might know that name because he's been on the show before. Chris is a Lutheran pastor. He's also a apologist, meaning that he fights for uh, he fights against heretical doctrine and he does so through debate and other means, including his radio show Pirate Radio. Uh, Chris categorically disagrees with the idea that the Torah is an act today, as you will hear. So Chris sat down with uh, a couple of people and actually should we mention who those people are? Hang on just a sec. Let's let's get this up here. Oh, I you know what we need? We need some hold music. Hang on just a sec. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hang on just a sec. Here we go. Adam, you're awesome. Why? What did Adam say? Enlighten us. Just. Uh, Chris. Hang on. I'm getting there. Come on, Facebook. Think. I think my computer's too overloaded. Okay, here we go. Um, everybody in these red cups, good gracious people, quit. Who cares about... You know what we need to finish this elevator physically? What's that? We need to record a sound of bing, and then the doors open. Right. When we get to the end of the clip. Okay, it's loading. Here we go. Okay, I have found it. I'm, I hope you all enjoyed this uh, elevator music. 
Okay, here we go. Chris Roseborough of Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. Join Michael Griffin Jr. of the Black Reform Baptist and Covenant Legacy Regulars, Eric Ayala and Nathan Barber. Nathan Barber, that that name sounds so familiar to me. I could I, I could bet money that I've either read something by Barber or that I've met Barber before. Anyway. So those are the people that are going to be in this interview, and uh, let's listen. To, so what they're doing is they're trying to talk about uh, Hebrew roots. Now, granted, uh, you know Chris is not a slouch when it comes to scholarship. I totally disagree with him on on you know the issue of Torah and whatnot, but I definitely hold him as a believer. Uh, you know, and uh, I, I see him as a brother in the Lord. By the way, I should say this: this show might go long, uh, and the reason why is because next week. We don't have a show. We will be in Atlanta, Georgia. So enjoy as much of this show as you possibly can because we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit long here. Okay. Um, so let's listen to this roundtable discussion. Now, granted, these guys are doing the same kind of thing that we do. What is that? They sit in a room. They all kind of agree with each other for the most part. They disagree on some of the minor things. They all sit in a room together and they discuss somebody else's views. Okay. This is what Rob and I do. We sit on this show. Uh, and we discuss people that we disagree with. Okay, so within this, I believe that Chris and his, and his friends here grossly misrepresent uh, one Torah theology, but they're not trying to talk about one Torah theology. They're trying to talk about Hebrew roots theology. Okay, so, you know, whatever. Uh, let's listen to their their definition. Chris is de- This is Chris Roseborough of Pirate Radio talking about the Hebrew roots. Uh, first of all, does anyone want to describe what what is the Hebrew Roots movement? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not monolithic, right? I mean, it's many different branches, many different variations. Okay, I don't know who that was. Maybe that was Black. I don't know. Anyway, he, uh, I would somewhat agree with that because you have the sacred namers, you have the you have the uh, uh, the two Housers, you know, you have all these different groups. Okay, you have the Michael Rooters. Uh, here you go. Yeah, it's. I would say it, it is a movement. So it's a network of different churches with different leaders who generally have in a, in basically made a major confusion. And that is, is that they think that the covenants of the Bible, that the Mosaic Covenant hasn't been abrogated, but that Christ took the New Covenant and kind of put it on the foundation of the Old Covenant, that covenants kind of stack up. And therefore, the Mosaic Covenant is actually still in effect. That's one of their common themes between them all, that you've got to observe the Sabbath. You've got Hang on. Now, I disagree with Chris on that. Like I said, I think that the Hebrew roots, a lot of the time, doesn't think that these, these uh, things need to, you know, they're still in act for Jew and Gentile today. As circumcised kids. And, and so they're really form of the Judaizing heresy and this is due to a false understanding about the current status of the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, so Chris says that uh, we're part of the Judaizing heresy. I would disagree with this uh, categorically, of course, and the reason why... I don't know, Caleb, you're, you kind of come off as a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks. Um, okay, well... Uh, I I would Anytime. I would say that the uh, Judaizers what it, what were they saying? We should start a Judaizers movement. No, we should not. Oh, man, your sarcasm today. People are going to think you're serious. 
the Judaizers said that you had to be circumcised to be saved. I think that they meant that you had to be uh, either ethnically Jewish or that you had to come into their fold one way or the other. I know that we've talked about conversion on this show before, and there might be some disagreement between Rob and I on this. But um, the point is, is that there was definitely a works salvation correlation from the Judaizers to uh, in that time. Would you agree with me on that, Rob? <laughs> I can't let this walk. I can't take it seriously. Why? I'm sorry. Ju- this the yeah the Judaizers. Okay, we have to look at scripture. Exactly. Okay, here's the thing. Galatians chapter 2, okay? Kepha or Peter is up in Antioch. He's eating with Gentiles. People come from Jerusalem and it says out of fear of the people of the these from Jerusalem, Peter separates from these Gentiles that he's having me- fellowship meals with. And won't eat with them anymore. And then it says even Barnabas and some of the others follow along. That's what Judaizing. That's called Judaizing. No, because in in, Acts, in other words, what what they've done is they have created a this false, unbiblical. They're enforcing an unbiblical, um, not in Tanakh teaching that Jews should not eat. With Gentiles, okay, but in, that's what Judaizing. Judaizing is is imposing and hindering the gospel by appeal to traditions of men. Okay, I agree with you, at, but, but out of fear, okay, that's what Judaizing wait, is. This wait. guy who this guy who's using Judaizing is missed. He doesn't even understand what he's doing. Hang on, okay, so he brings up uh, the beginning of Acts when when they say to when they when they say unless you were circumcised you can't be saved. So this is a salvation issue at that point. They're talking about salvation. They're talking about heritage and salvation. Now, I now I know Chris would probably say that they're actually talking about the physical act of circumcision. I would disagree and say that they're actually talking about ethnicity here. Unless you're circumcised, you're you're you know on the eighth day, you're, you can't be saved. Right? It could be the term's not used there in Acts 15. So if we just want to, you know, but anyway, yeah. I mean, the idea is. Uh, and is that true? You can't be saved if you're not circumcised? No, that's not biblical either. Of course not. So impose, Juda, Judaizing, in a biblical sense, is imposing man-made tradition and fear of man in your culture and and putting the Bible aside. That's what Judaizing is. And that's what we see with people saying, oh, don't you respect the rabbis? That guy was Judaizing right there by trying to get you to be afraid of Jewish rabbis. Like you're not showing them, you know, like how dare you kind of language and that how shame on you language. That's Judaizing. Okay, so I, I, I think that I agree with you on that. I, 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 I will uh, concede to that. You've won me over. Fair enough. But let's keep going with, with uh, Roseboro and his friends on, uh, on their definition now of Hebrew roots. Okay, we're going to keep going here. Uh, there's two more where they're going to set up this idea of what they're kind of talking about Hebrew roots. Here you go. Now, is there a connection with like Christian identity movement, lost tribes of Israel sort of thing? Do do they view themselves as genetically Gentiles, or do they think that somehow they're connected to actual Israel of old? 
they do consider themselves genetically uh, part of the ten lost tribes of Israel. This is another piece of kind of the Hebrew roots movement that some embrace and some have repudiated. Um, you know, particularly, I would point people to uh, Jim Staley before he went to prison. He taught this Christian identity movement. They went there. Basically. Well, you know, Chris. Okay, hang on. Let's let let's just clarify here. Before he went to that's well, like throw throw it Staley under the bus. Well, Chris. Right? Chris okay, now Chris might have a little bit of an axe to grind here because <laughs> because Chris was the one who debated Staley yeah, in in yeah. the. Uh, we had him on the show. We had him yeah, both on the he, show. Yeah, he debated Staley in the in the Sabbath uh, in the in the Sabbath debate uh-huh. and. I would say, even though Chris might deny it, the internet sh- certainly seems to think that Staley won that uh, that interchange. Yeah. Well, uh, that's why you have to say before he goes to prison. Yeah, and so uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that Chris is trying to grind an axe here. We he, he's yeah. stating a fact, right? He is yeah, stating yeah. a fact. Uh, okay. And I don't know for sure, but I think uh, did Staley t- is he two house? Was Staley like Lost Tribes Israel? Staley said he was not two house. However. Uh, if you, yeah, he said he I wasn't. He taught that in, in, in like in the book of Romans, yeah. letter to Romans, that when Paul talks about Gentiles, he's talking about lost tribes of Israel. Uh, I thought I heard Staley teach yeah. that. Okay, but I, you, I couldn't. Yeah, you're totally right. Say, Here's the thing: is that I'm friends with some of the guys over at, at Passion for Truth, so I, I want to be a little bit careful. However, PFT I, yeah, PFT. Uh, however, I want. However, I can. I got to call a spade a spade on this one. Staley said he was not two house. However, if you listen to Staley's teaching, I don't see how he could not be two house. He seems to to outright teach two house theology within his teachings. I I don't know if he just didn't understand what two house theology was. But from what I've seen and listened to and read of Staley. And in the personal conversations that I've had with Staley, uh, it sure seems to me like he actually does was pushing a two house theology. Now is, I know I know the guys over at Passion for Truth are not. Can I can are, I do a footnote here? Is is Psalm one nineteen ministries are they are they uh, I don't two house? I do not believe uh, one nineteen ministries is two house. I, I someone told me that they're the lot they're lost they have a teaching on the lost sheep of Israel that's like. Well, uh, to be honest with you, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, I don't okay, believe anyway, that's the case. I, if you, if any of our listeners know, let us know. Okay, we'd love. So we'd let's love keep to, going. We'd like to learn. Here's the things. thing. Here's the thing about. Here's the thing about Chris. I appreciate that he first says yes. This is a teaching within Hebrew roots, but then he, you know, he clarifies. However, it has been repudiated by some. Let's keep going with Chris. So he just dropped the uh, the Staley went to prison bomb teaches no joke that the, you know the lost tribes of Israel ended up scattering into Europe and so the preaching of the gospel is the calling out of those who are gen- okay stop the presses here uh, our friend Mark who is well acquainted with 119 says 119 is two house interesting I stand corrected then well there you go ethically related to Abraham through the ten lost tribes, and it's kind of a crazy idea that. So the idea, you know, if you're a, truly a Christian, if you're truly a believer in the Messiah Yeshua, then you are actually genetically part of Israel. Um, you're you're not coming through the, the tribe of Judah, but you're probably coming through the tribe of Dan or the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, you know, some of the lost tribes. But and so, yeah, that that's that's another element in this, but it's not universally accepted. Uh, Staley, a couple of years back, actually repudiated that teaching, 
and backed away from it. And uh, yeah, I wonder where he is now. But he's in prison now for uh, basically built second hit. Money and he goes and, back. Uh, he goes back for it. Okay. Um, so so he's right. He's right though. Chris is right that the two house the two house theology is absolutely false. And not only that, but it, it basically tries to do away with the pro- prophecies <laughs> in the Bible of all the nations coming and bowing to the Messiah, right? And and the, and the nations turning to Torah. Okay, so we have one more uh uh definition. Now, I'm not sure if this is where he talks about yada yada or not. But I had never heard of Yada Yah before this. It's actually Yada Yahweh. I'm starting to call them Yada Yah. Um, but uh, we'll talk about them after the next clip or two because I think that he might. Okay, so let's keep going with this. Um, is there also any intersection with like Messianic Judaism? Historic Messianic Judaism, like Jews for Jesus, there is a group of people within historic Messianic Judaism. Okay, hang on just a sec. So now Chris actually is kind of uh, upholding what I've what I've noticed as well. Jews for Jews for Jesus, do, they do not believe that the Torah is an act at all, but they they call themselves Messianic Jews, right? Judaism that are repudiating the claims of the Hebrew Roots Movement and making a very clear distinction saying Messianic Judaism is not the same as the Hebrew Roots. And so this is an interesting kind of fight to watch. Uh, But uh, many people that have historically considered themselves part of the uh, Jews for Jesus Messianic Movement, they are not embracing the Hebrew Roots and they consider it to be aberrant. So I agree with them. I, I actually agree with them on this. So so far, Chris has actually been, uh, you know, he's now granted uh, these are totally out of order. So this is actually about in the actual interview. He brings some of this stuff up about a half an hour in after he's already talked about a bunch of other stuff. So it's a little out of order, but whatever. So let's see what should be rejected then by Chris. And this is where I'm sure uh, we might actually have a Hoff goes off moment here at some point uh, in the next couple of clips. Let's see what uh, what Chris has to say about this. They seem very disdainful to any kind of Christian heritage. I mean, they seem to imply that from the first century onward, the Christian church somehow fell into apostasy and rejecting of creeds, of liturgies, of early church fathers. They seem to just toss all that out the window. Yeah, this is this is basically playing on kind of something that's culturally within uh, uh, Protestant movements, and this is something we gotta uh, we're gonna have to all own is is that it's very easy in our protest against Rome to to go overboard in our protest so we end up in the opposite ditch. It's very clear that the the Roman church through the millennia and you know in especially since the medieval period has introduced into Christianity doctrines of men. These are true traditions of men that they're not based on scripture. But the problem is is that you have to make distinctions on what is a tradition and what is a tradition in the sense of a doctrine of man being taught as if it's a doctrine of God as opposed to a tradition that is useful for discipleship and things like that. And so what happens is is that the New Testament is very clear that you're not to judge anybody according to a new moon festival, a Sabbath, any of the feast days, that in fact all of the feast days... And why are they judging are people in, who are keeping the Sabbath? If you're not supposed to judge a person concerning the Sabbath then why are they judging people who are saying the just saying scripture teaches to keep the shabbat 
You mean Chris? Why are Chris and all those guys? Why are these guys judging? If the scriptures tell them, don't judge somebody concerning the Sabbath. But they're judging people concerning the Sabbath. They're seeing people. This is what I hear these guys saying. They see someone keeping the Sabbath and who's saying this is in the word of God. And they're judging them, calling them Judaizers, saying that they're misrepresenting Christian faith and that they're adhering to the traditions of men and that it's that it's twisting the gospel. When, in fact, the person who's asserting the Shabbat is just looking at the scriptures. <laughs> they're not adding a bunch of they're not adding traditions. It's that it's I, I don't understand. Well, what's interesting. OK, in the very beginning of that clip, his his buddy says, I think this is, you know, disdainful towards uh, Christianity after the first century. You know, it's like these people think that the church became apostasy. Well, okay. You might think that. However, church history would tell us that actually there was the Nazarenes who went all the way up into the fourth century. Okay. There were people who were keeping the Shabbat and the festivals all the way through to the Reformation and out of the Reformation. So, and not only that, but people didn't just outright, we haven't rejected the church. But listen to what Chris says at the end of this uh, at the end of this clip. Okay, listen. So he's he's big on no. Uh, I wonder if it's this clip. He's big on no uh, on no traditions of man. Uh, you know that we shouldn't be. You know these need to be distinguished between the traditions of man and uh, and uh, you know what's in the word. Mosaic covenant are type and shadow that find their fulfillment in Christ, and we as Christians in the New Covenant are no longer required to keep the Passover, required to keep the Festival of Booths, the you know Feast of Trumpets and things like that. Those all point to Christ. And so coming into the New Covenant, the early church very early on adopted a liturgical calendar, a lectionary, different seasons, penitential seasons like Lent and Advent. So, okay, so now he's talking about bringing these things in, but at some point in one of these clips, he's going to talk about different creeds, how we, how the Hebrew roots movement. Now, granted, they're, they're mixing things that, uh, they're mixing two movements. They're mixing one Torah, uh, one Torah, the one Torah movement with Hebrew roots movement. Okay. So I'm somewhat defending this from a one Torah, uh, uh, perspective. He's going to talk about how Hebrew roots rejects the different creeds that the church came up with. Well, these creeds aren't found in the Bible. So it's interesting to me that Chris is so down on people who are saying, you know, who are, uh, uh, you know, talking about tradition and things like this. But then he's down on he's down with the creeds that the church made up. Um, I'm going to get Rob talking on one of these. Hang on. Here we go. And kind of really just lumps everything all together. And so Christmas has got to go. Easter has got to go. You know, anything that that is a Christian holiday and those have got to go, and what is reintroduced then is the Passover, is the Sabbath. It, what's reintroduced is uh, the, you know, the different festival days of Judaism. And the problem is, is that these guys aren't actually Torah observant when it comes to these festivals, and even though they, you know, they, they have such a high regard for them. And then their arguments are basically kind of logical arguments. Well, if God, these were important to God and his people. And Jesus, you know, hey, he kept the Passover. Jesus kept the Sabbath. Jesus observed the festivals, uh, all of the different festival days. Why are we, you know, going with Christmas and Easter when Jesus observed these things? So you want to be like Jesus, don't you? And they're not making any careful distinctions about the fact that Christ is fulfilling the Mosaic Covenant for us. And as Paul says in the book of Galatians, you know, that was the, that was the tutor, the, the schoolmaster, the 
uh, the, the the guy who was put over us until Christ appears, and now we're no longer under under the Mosaic Covenant. That has been fulfilled and abrogated. The New Testament is very clear on these things, and we are not required to be Torah observant uh, regarding the Mosaic Covenant. In fact, nobody living in North America can be Torah observant and say that they're actually observing these things because the specifications are that these festivals are to be kept in, geographically in Jerusalem, not here in North America. All right, Rob. Well, we're well he just solved. He just solved my problems. Yeah. Well, he brings up a, he brings up a very controversial passage, right? I think we should uh, find that guy, get him to write some books, well, set us straight. Yeah. Well, but hang on though. At the same time, he brings up uh, you know some some very controversial passages. What do you say about the 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 passage in Galatians that says the Torah was our tutor? The Torah is a tutor. Before the Torah is written on the heart, the Torah was still an external uh, expression of God's will to Israel, to his people. To lead to the Torah, or to lead to the Telling Messiah. Telling them, even though it wasn't written on their heart, according to Jeremiah, it was still confronting them day in and day out, telling them which way to go, which way not to go. And leading them to the Messiah. It's an instructor, yeah. Now that they've, Now that we've been led to the Messiah... Torah is written on the heart, right? Yeah. Nowhere does it say the Torah is done away with or abrogated. I, I don't know. That's this guy's jumping to traditions of men. I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I don't. I mean, he's pretty set in his ways. He seems kind of miffed. I kind of got this tone of like, like he's a little bit angry, like because he he knows. Oh, I think uh, this kind of ticks Chris off that people would even you know suggest the, this. People would actually go and actually say, "Oh, the, there's a there's a you know God set up a calendar, you know." <laughs> and the claim about Jerusalem, you know. Well, in Deut- yeah, sure. We we don't. There's no temple. I mean, how far do you want to push it? But well, in you, De- in Deuteronomy, it says, "When you're in the land of your enemies, and you keep all of the commandments which I am commanding you this day, I will bring yeah. you back." How is it that we're supposed to keep the commandments in a foreign land? of our enemies when we don't have a temple point is this is do do we seek to do god's will yeah that's right and that's like psalm one you know in his torah he meditates day, day and, and night, night. Yeah. and he's like a tree planted by the streams of waters who will bring forth fruit in his season okay that's what yeshua says he says i'm the vine you're the branches bring forth good fruit right that we're like trees where's our water water's in the word of god you know it's it, it's not uh, these guys are fighting against a. They're kicking against the stone wall. You know, I think. Well, th- this one was interesting too. Listen to this. I now maybe I'm mistaken on this, but I'm pretty sure that Chris is wrong. And when you read the book of Galatians, there's two covenants mentioned there from the Old Testament. The one is the Abrahamic covenant, and the other is the Mosaic covenant. And Paul makes it very clear that the Abrahamic covenant is the covenant of oath. That's the covenant of note. And that the Mosaic Covenant could not overthrow the Abrahamic Covenant. It was given because of transgressions and basically to kind of lock the people up until the Messiah was revealed. And now that he's come, the Mosaic Covenant is dropped out. And there's a direct line now from the Abrahamic Covenant to the New Covenant that we're in today. So the people in the Hebrew Roots Movement have a a very big problem. And that is is that they're trying to reestablish a covenant that has been brought to an end that was temporary has been abrogated, 
and they're basically binding men to the Mosaic Covenant when Scripture makes it clear that it has served its purpose and its role, and now that the Messiah has come, we are in the New Covenant, and that the Old Covenant is gone. Okay, hang on just a sec. Uh, that was the wrong clip. I apologize. Let's listen to this clip. It's only 30 seconds. Nine of the ten of the Ten Commandments get reiterated, and there's one that's explicitly not reiterated, and that is the commandment regarding the keeping of the Sabbath. Ding. And you know, specifically, the, the Sabbath day is a Sabbath day of rest, and I think technically that's going to fall under a ceremonial law that, Ding. by the way, nobody can fulfill if you're living in uh, North America. It's just, it's just not, again, without sacrifices, you can't even be keeping the Sabbath. Okay. I'm not sure that that's true. I think he's talking about the temple service, that you can't... Yeah, that guy doesn't... He, that guy, he already... He went to seminary or whatever. He's already trained how to think about those things, you know. Yeah, but the point is, is that the, that the idea that you have to take a, a sacrifice to the temple every Shabbat to fulfill the Shabbat, that's not right. No. There's a... There's... Every day there's a tamid, a lamb in the morning, lamb in the evening, every day whether it's a Shabbat or not. Exactly. But, yeah, anyway, th yeah, this is just, I mean, not anything really new here, except that they're associated, they're kind of talking about, you know, Messian what is Messianic Judaism? What is Jews for Jesus? What is HR, Hebrew roots? Well, this um, one, uh, I call this one the, the Mormon principle, but, uh, well, actually, let's see here. Oh, moral predates. This is, my, this is probably one that I find in, most interesting. So all of, the, all of the Ten Commandments, with the exception of the commandment of the Sabbath, get reiterated back into the New Covenant, and there's even explicit language in, the, in both the Old and New Testament that make it clear that the moral law, God's moral law, even predates being you know documented in the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. So the best way I can put it is is that schol biblical scholars, this is something that everybody has to wrestle with, and that's the continuity and discontinuity between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. And it's important to note that even before the, the Mosaic Covenant is given in the book of Genesis, you have examples of the patriarchs keeping the moral law. I mean, a great example is Joseph, who refuses to sleep with Potiphar's wife. And and the reason for this is okay. So, I, but but let's let's ask Chris this question: Where do you place the kosher laws? Is that a moral, a civil, or a ceremonial law? Noah certainly knew what was what was kosher and unkosher, right? So, before you have the giving of the law, the Torah on and we Mount have Sinai, Shabbat from Genesis two. <clears throat> That's right. I mean, it, wait, the scriptures now does it explicitly tell us that Noah rested on Shabbat? No, no. The world had fallen into a deep, deep crevasse of, of uh, depravity, and God started rebuilding, and little by little, he rebuilt. But the question, this, the question still remains. That doesn't mean the Sabbath was never there. No, but we know for a fact that, that, that there was a distinction between clean and unclean foods before, before the, oh, true. the yeah, Torah was absolutely. given on Sinai. So where does Chris put the... And the Sabbath was given before Sinai. And the Sabbath was he given was before Sinai. He's teaching them. He's saying, I'm going to teach you about... My provision, I'm going to give you manna, and I'm going to give you a Shabbat, a rest day. And that's before Mount Sinai. And it's and what he's training them back to the order of creation. No doubt. 
Okay, it's a little frustrating. So, but here's the end-all point of all this. Okay, we we categorically disagree with Chris on this issue. Okay, I still f- hold Chris as a brother in the Lord, and actually, I think he's doing some great work for uh, for the body. Uh, you know, a lot of the work that he does is basically calling, you know, calling pastors out on on false doctrine, uh, which I think is necessary. Uh, so good for him. But uh, we disagree on this. However, I think the point that I'm trying to make here is, is that I think that we shouldn't call those who hold that the Torah is for Jew and Gentile, who aren't two house, who aren't sacred name, okay, who uh, aren't all about trying to give dates for the coming of the Messiah. I think we should hold, we should call ourselves one Torah. What are you? Are you part of the Hebrew roots? No, I'm part of one Torah, the one Torah movement. Are you part of Messianic Judaism? No, I'm part of the one Torah movement. These are the things right. that I think that we should just be. Assert, it's like a, a symbol you can have control over based on scripture. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's what we need. If you, if, if, it's like the Metatron guys. They want, they want everybody to think in terms of this Metatron. It's like, well, wait a minute. If Metatron first comes on the scene in like the 5th, 6th century A.D., <laughs> Why do I even care? Why is it even important that I carry around a Metatron symbol or idea in my head and in, insist on it having significance for my faith? It's just, it's craziness. It's absolute craziness. I totally agree. All right. I think we're good. Um, if you're out there and you would like to be praying for us while we travel to Atlanta, Georgia, we certainly would appreciate it. Uh, no show next week. Well, I mean, there will be a show. It'll just be a repeat, though. So, uh, yeah, if you come to be in the chat room with us, we will not be around. However, I think we will have a show pre-recorded. Chat room will probably still be open. Uh, pre-recorded from the ETS-SBL meeting the following week. That is the day before Thanksgiving. So, actually, even though it'll be pre-recorded, uh, technically our live show is taking two weeks off. But there will be a new show in two weeks, the day before Thanksgiving. So we hope that you join us then. I will probably be in the chat room to discuss with y'all as that goes on. Maybe we can get Rob in there too. All right. Uh, Anything else before we go, Rob? No, but just remember, I want everybody to remember the word of the day, Mayim. 100. There you go. Mayim. M-yod-yod-mem. All right. 10, 10, 40. Monday morning, Rob Van Hoff and myself get on a plane. We go to... Atlanta, Georgia, for the ETS and SBL meeting. We ask for your prayers as we travel. And uh, for just a blessed time, we're going to meet a bunch of people there who are one tour as well. And uh, we're going to talk to a lot of great scholars. We're going to see a lot of great papers, uh, Lord willing. And going to have some great fellowship, we hope. So we hope that uh, you will pray for us. And uh, I will be tweeting and, and periscoping a lot of that. As we uh, listen to papers and try to learn more about our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>